Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us online. If you missed everything I said, it was the most important stuff of the day. And so I apologize for all that. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for being here in person. And I'm excited about this series about discipleship. The video was like, what is it like being a disciple? And he said at the very end of the day, it really is a lot like any relationship. And it's you spend time together. You build trust over that time together. And so as we begin talking about what it means to be a disciple, you know what? I think I'll just use this handheld. You are such a great guy. You're such a great friend. Thank you very much, Tyler. So um, what I want to talk about just for the next several weeks is what does it mean to be a disciple? And, and why should we be a disciple? And what, what, I, what I don't want to do is, is, you know, just think or assume that when we come together, we're all learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because that really is all being a disciple is. It's being a student, being a learner, being a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we gather, it's pretty easy to do. But what about when we're separate, when we're sitting at home, when we're too afraid to gather, when we're isolated on our own? I don't want to assume that everybody just knows exactly what to do by step by step in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So exactly what do I mean by that? Here's a Dallas Willard quote. And by the way, all the way through this message, I'm going to be using different quotes and, and uh, some, some, a few just sayings. And so if you're sitting at home watching TV and you want to go back and remember what these quotes are, get your phone out and just take a picture. And that way you can go back and research it. I think the information is in, very important and it's not my information. I just want to share with you just some ideas about what it means to be a disciple. So a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Amen? A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Amen? Because it's a, it's a, it's a growing, I mean, it's a journey, right? And the more we know, the more we want to believe. And the more we believe, the more we want to obey. And the more we obey, the closer we become to the heart of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and what he's called us all to be. And so that is our big push. Now, why are we spending so much energy talking about being a disciple? Why is that important to us? Because we talk about it on Sunday mornings in our sermons. We talk about it in our small groups. We talk about it in growth track. We talk about it in all of our classes. We're constantly talking about being a disciple. But why be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I mean, if I were to just ask you, why is that important? Why do we want you to be a student of Jesus Christ? Why do we want you to be a follower? Why do we want you to be a disciple? So, because Jesus said so. Go and make disciples. So it is commanded. But why does Jesus command it? So his word don't stop. So his word don't stop. Is that correct English? <laughs> it's, it's true. Because if you're following him, you're wanting to learn. I'm just repeating it so the people on, on, who are watching online can hear. And so if I'm following him, I'm wanting to learn what he said and why that's important. Because that's the right way. Did Jesus say that? 
Why be a disciple? Because, take a picture of this, following Jesus is the only way to eternal life. True or false? Now the world would probably have a lot to say about that. <laughs> Which you ask, wouldn't you want to err on maybe the side of maybe I should? We, it's not, yeah, and, and we're weak on the word maybe. I mean, Jesus said this that Scott was alluding to. So in John chapter 14, remember John chapter 14? Jesus gathers his apostles and he says, guys, I'm going to be leaving you. And they're like, what? Why are you leaving us? We've just gotten started. There's so much work to do. People are after us. They're trying to kill you. There's a lot to do. And he tried to calm them. And he said, starting in verse 1, John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, right? You remember this famous passage. In my father's house are many wombs, many mansions. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. And I am going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you can be also. Right? And then Thomas, this is why we call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas is like, Jesus, where are you going? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then in verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Is that true? Yes. So the reason that we want you to be a follower of Jesus is because that's the only way to eternal life. It's the only way to be in heaven with God. Jesus said, he claimed, I am the way, the truth, the life. And so that's why we want everybody to be a disciple. Because we want you spending eternity in heaven. It's way better than the alternative. And it's not just you. We want everyone in our community. Name me somebody that you don't want to spend time in heaven with God eternally. Maybe you want to keep that rhetorical. Well, um, I got this weird uncle or I got this neighbor or my boss. Or I'm telling you there's a few enemies who I'm like, if I see them in heaven, I'm going to go, oh, I can't believe they're here. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your desire should be to be forever with God. And hell is so bad, you should not even want your worst enemy going there. And so Jesus said, follow me. And it may require that you love your enemy. And do good to those who despitefully use you. But Jesus knows, the, he knows what hell is like. And the Bible says he wants no one going there. I don't want anyone lost, right? That's why you are to be a disciple. And that's why we're to go and make disciples. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to look at all the different traits, seven different traits actually, of being a disciple. And the first trait we're going to look at today, just the very beginning point, it's just the start. It's, you know, discipleship 101. is a disciple has a passion to personally know Jesus. And just a disciple, a follower of Jesus has a passion 
to personally know Jesus. And I love it when I get to hear people's stories. They start talking about their parents or their grandparents or where they grew up or they're talking about a friend. Sometimes at a wedding, I, you know, I, I get to do weddings and so I'll sit down and I'll have these interviews. And uh, I, try to, I, I try to customize a wedding around the two people getting married. You know, all weddings seem to me to sound the same. You know, where you go and you say the exact same words. Uh, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, and sickness, and health, to love, and faith, until death to us part. I mean, it's, and that's fine. I about, however, I, if you're going to make a covenant, it needs to be personal between the two of you and God. And then, and then you need to really consider what those words are. It, it's not about imitating somebody else's. It's about, it's about what is in your heart as a covenant that you want to make with someone else. And so I get to listen to these stories. And so it just when I hear, man, I was listening to this, you know, one story and, and uh, this guy said I was, you know, I was supposed to meet my fiance and she was in a women's Bible study. And I told her that I called her up and I said, hey, I'm not going to be able to see you tonight. I'm working late. And we hadn't seen each other in weeks. And she was really looking forward to us getting together after Bible study. He said, but what I didn't tell her was that I was just around the corner. And I was going to surprise her. And so when she left the house, when she left the Bible study, and she, and she went to the stop sign, and she turned, I was standing in the middle of the street. And she jumped out, and she said, I can't believe it, you're here. And we had a big old hug. And he's like, I just said, hey, how was your, he called it group, how was your group tonight? He said, and I listened to her talk about her love for Jesus as if it was the very first time she had ever shared it. And right there on the spot in the middle of that street, I knew I want to spend the rest of my life with someone who loves Jesus like that. Right? That's a great little story. So I got to tell that. In the, so I love listening to people's stories. Listening to people when, when someone passes away. And I say, well, tell me about them. And they tell you stories. And some of them make you cry. And some of them make you laugh. Right. And, 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 you know, there is a difference in knowing about somebody and knowing them. Right. Because I bet there's a whole bunch of people and you know about them. But, you know, the only way to really get to know them is to spend time. And so Jesus said this in John chapter one, all who will receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. The beginning of discipleship starts here. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I receive him into my life. I choose him. And so, for those of you who may be listening online, or for those of you who are here in the room, that's the beginning point. The, be that's the beginning point is, do you want to be a believer a follower, and a disciple of Jesus Christ? And have you come to the end of yourself and the beginning of him being the Lord of your life? Which is what he means to receive him. It's just, it's not that I just believe. I want to obey. I want to follow from now on. Jesus gets to determine the path of my life. I give him the reins. I give him control. 
And so that's, that's the first thing I want to ask out of you is, have you given him your whole heart? Have you given him your life? Have you received him? Have you said, Jesus, I no longer want to live my way. I've made a mess of my life. I am a sinner. I need a savior and I choose you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. That's the beginning point of being a disciple. And if we do that, then what is a personal relationship with Jesus? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Is it even possible because I've heard people talk about it before. Hey, you do, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I'm like, well, I don't get to go on a date with him like somebody that I can actually see. I don't, how, how do I have a personal relationship with someone who is beyond the azure blue or someone who's up in heaven or someone who I, I've never really done that before? Can you help me with that? Yep. So it's the same thing as any other relationship. Building a personal relationship with Jesus falls into the same kind of flow of you building a relationship with anyone else. And so the first thing is, uh, the depth of any, well, here's the first one. Every relationship is built through time and intention. Just, so at the beginning of a relationship, it's called, there's a, what's called a time tension model. And so you have tension on one side and time on the other. And so if you had this little simple matrix, and it's like at the beginning of any relationship, tension is high and trust is low. Right? I don't know you. I'm not going to share with you everything about me. You ask me, how am I doing? I'm going to say, fine. If I'm fine, I'm good. How are you? Fine. Good. Right? And then the more we get to know each other, the more I'll open up a little bit more. And as time moves from beginning of relationship through time, hopefully tension will go down and trust will come up. And there's this Kairos moment, this one moment in time in any relationship that you get to this place where you're going to decide, am I really going to share with them what's going on in my life or not? And you get to that point and somebody says, how are you doing? And you're like, you know what? I'm not doing so well. Okay, tell me more. How can I help? And then you can pour out your life and, and then you hope that that trust that you're Instilling in that relationship will prove true, right? So that's how any relationship, it's the same thing with Jesus. The more you spend time with him in his word, praying, and all those spiritual disciplines that you can read about online and, and that we talk about so much, but it's not going to happen without intention and time. And so if you're not spending any time with Jesus, if you're not building that trust, it's going to be difficult to build a relationship. Same in any relationship. And the second was this. The depth of any relationship requires spending time with their family. So I, you know, I knew my wife when, we, when I met her in the sixth grade and fell in love with her then. And then we ended up getting married nine years later. I knew her and I knew her family. But my wife was adopted. And so there was a lot about her history before her adoption that we didn't know. We would go to any you know, uh, physician and... And she would be talking with them, and they were trying to find out her medical history. And she would always have to say, I don't know, because I was adopted, right? And so it was only about five years ago, maybe four years ago, that uh, we found her family. And there's a lady named Valerie who's probably watching our service online today that is like a second cousin. Her husband was a second cousin to Suzanne. And she worked for that uh, 
one, two, three relationship and me. What that thing called? What is that? Valerie, I'm so sorry. But, uh, the real, you know, one of those on- online rela- ancestry, one of those things. And they're like, I think I'm your second cousin. And one conversation led to another. Next thing you know, and I can show you the picture, Suzanne's meeting. You know, she talked to her mom. She knew that her dad passed away. She's met her mom's sisters. We've got all these pictures. And we got to go to South Georgia and meet them and talk to them and visit the grave where her father is. And we got to learn so much. And I'm telling you, my love for her and so many things came true once I really started knowing even more about her family and her history. Right? And so the depth of any relationship. And this is why we spend time with each other. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's brought us all together and made us family. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen? And so the more I know you, the better you know me, the more we can get together and help each other work through whatever it is that we're dealing with, the deeper we're going to come to love each other and God. And this is not just faith for, you know, any relationship. It's also faith in Jesus. But our faith is built through the ebb and flow of life. The longer we spend time with each other. You have a good friend? You've gone through hard times, good times. You've celebrated. You've weeped together, wept together. You know, then you know relationship, faith, trust in that individual. And that relationship grows over time. Same thing with Jesus. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you walk through the calm rivers and waters of life. And from sunrise to sunset, you glorify and praise God. And through the ebb and flow of life, at the, end of, at the end of your life, you will say, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have anything. Anybody already there? When I was young, I thought, man, my whole life is ahead of me, and I've got it in my hand, and I get to choose. But now I'm 60 years old, and I know one thing, and, and that's this. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. He has given me everything I have, and it's all in his control. And anytime he wants to take it away, he can, including my life, because it's in his hands. And I'm not going to argue, why, Lord, why? I've come to trust him. And I don't have to ask that anymore because he's proven faithful. He's, he has been, just like we sung today, he's been so, so good to me. Okay, so if we're going to now talk about what does it mean I want to share with you three things because now it's like, okay, I know I need to be a disciple. I know why I need to be a disciple. And and I'm beginning to learn, you know, the principles of time and and all that. But how do I do that? Because I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I've tried to read my Bible. I've just started. So what I'm going to say now is for the beginning point of just being a disciple. How it started with me and how it may start with you. And the first thing I'm going to say is imitate. So if you're like, okay, how do I now begin to build a relationship with Jesus? So the first word I'm just going to share with you is imitate. Just imitate or mirror. Here's you, Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Jesus even said, whatever you've seen me do, you go and do likewise. Right? What I have done to you, you know, go and do to others. And so Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is a beginning point. And so if you don't know where to start, 
Look and find somebody who you believe to be a strong disciple of Jesus and just imitate them. I can remember when I was starting down this path, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to read my Bible. Listen, I grew up in a home where my father was a preacher and I didn't know how to pray. Because I prayed the same prayers. I prayed other people's prayers. And I can remember there was a prayer this one guy prayed one time in church. And I, I don't even remember everything he said. This is how he started his prayer. This was back in the 1970, maybe 1980. He prayed this prayer. Lord God, thank you for the privilege that we have as Americans to come and worship you today as Christians. I don't remember anything he said after that. I went, oh man, that's good. So I wrote that down. And the next time I found myself in the company of people who were not there on that day, and they asked me to pray, guess how I began my prayer? Lord God, thank you for the privilege we have as Americans. Ooh, that's such a good prayer. I didn't know how to pray on my own, so I borrowed other people's prayers. Is that okay? Sure. That's a good beginning point. And Paul's like, man, follow me as I follow Christ. Listen to the way I pray. Watch the way I treat people. You know, learn from me. I've learned from others, and I'm learning from Christ. And so if you see anything in me that resembles Christ, then follow it. Use it. And it's called uh, mirroring. Have you all seen mirroring? And this is a technique that's taught especially to salespeople a lot. And it's like, once you go in, you want to make a sale, you need to go at their pace and, and find out, you know, are they a type A or type, what's the way, what are they on the disc profile and mimic it and, and, you know, do the same kind of gestures and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so it's really kind of funny, but they, they do it in acting classes and they're like, okay, there are a lot of things that you need to learn and how to relate and how to grow and all that kind of stuff. So start by mirroring. And, and so one of the exercises that they'll do is they'll make you line up in front of the other person and they say there are three rules to mirroring. The first one is this. You've got to give the other person your total attention. And then the second one is you've got to mimic everything they do as if you were them. And then the third one is you pretend until you stop pretending. And they said, there comes a definite time when you do that. Now, mirroring is actually kind of fun. And it's, uh, I mean, if I were to have you turn toward each other and one of you do something and the other, you know, just kind of mimic it, it's kind of fun. And it's addictive. And, and we do this in a lot of different ways. Have you ever heard somebody uh, copy somebody else's laugh? Have you ever copied somebody's laugh? Okay, just laugh like this. <laughs> Go ahead. Do it with me. <laughs> After a while, it's like, okay, it's, I mean, I can do that, and it's kind of fun. And I've listened to people. I'm like, man, people mock that. They imitate that all the time. Is it okay? Well, sure. If you don't have a laugh of your own. You know, and, 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 and so sometimes you begin by just copying somebody, mirroring. But you have to, the rules are, you got to, one, give them your complete attention. And so if you're going to follow me as I follow Christ, it, you got to give your full attention on Christ and on the person. And you're watching. And, and, and it's okay to pretend until 
It's time to stop pretending. I love this quote. He wanted to hear my voice, not my best imitation of someone else. Now take a picture of that. That's what God, God is fine with you following someone else as they follow Christ. But at some point, it's just easy to do that, to just keep doing that. Your faith is what sustains me. I just follow you and you do all the hard work and I just follow behind. But at some point, he wants to hear your voice. Not someone else's prayer. Not someone else's faith. He wants to hear from you. And so we stop imitating and we start reflecting. John Warburg says this. The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a follower of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. And so the beginning point, sometimes it's very easy. You go to church, I go to church, you do all that. You pray, you pray. Yeah, I don't want to do it. You lead, you lead, you lead. I don't want to. I'm just going to follow. And it feels good for a while. And some people get stuck there. But at some point, we have to say, it's time for me to begin doing what God has called me to do and to take out to take a step out in faith. And so we stop imitating and we start reflecting. What do I mean by reflect? Well, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul is talking about Moses. And there was this time when, and I'm going to, let me just read it to you and then I'll tell you the story. Verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So now that you see where Paul is headed, here was the story. There was this time when Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God. Moses spent all this time just face, well, I want to say face to face with God. God's like, you can't see my face and live, but his presence was there. And he came down and, and, and his, his presence was there. And Moses was so full of God and this meeting with God that when he went back down the hill and went you know, into the people, his face was glowing. And the people got scared and they would turn their face away from Moses. And so Moses put this veil over his face so that it wouldn't scare the people. And Paul is using this and saying, you know, it's, it is true that there are these people who can be really close to God. And you can tell that they're reflecting the glory of the Lord. But at some point, you need to begin to understand, God's not wanting to do that just with Moses. He's wanting to do that with you. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You can't do it unless you've been spending time with God. But he's like, and the more you spend time with the Lord, who is the Spirit, he makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so now I want to stop imitating somebody else's faith and I want to take ownership. I want to start reflecting what I have seen in the Lord. And I'm no, I'm no longer, you know, just following somebody else. I am making a decision. I want to learn how to. Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, increase my faith. Help my unbelief. Teach me your everlasting way. 
all these verses of scripture that begin to say, I'm going to take it personal. And I want to reflect your glory. Ephesians 5.1. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Lord, I follow you. I'm now following you. I, you tell me to love my enemy, that's what I'm going to do. You tell me to, to not speak harshly, to not return insult for insult or injury for injury. You, know, you're, you're, you show me, you tell me, and I'm spending, now I'm just spending all my time with you. And I want to reflect your glory. I want people to see you in me. And so it's fine to start with following somebody else who can lead you to Jesus. But when you get to Jesus, I love the way he said it in Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, sit, let us reason together. I want to spend time with you. He says the same thing in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open up, I'll come in and be with you and I will abide with you. It's an invitation. And you get to decide, is this something that you want from Jesus or not? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. So it's begin following him. Begin listening to his voice. Read everything you can. You know, get into the word of God. If you're looking for what gospel, how do I begin right now? We have a Wednesday Bible study in the gospel of John. And the gospel of John is all about learning that Jesus is the son of God. Start there. Go to another. But get into the word of God. And here's another one. Pray without ceasing. Pray every day. Pray everywhere. Everywhere. Spend time talking to God and listening to him through his word. So imitate, reflect, and then here's the tough one. And this is the one that I want to just make sure that we're taking hold of. At some point, we have to decide I'm not walking away. You have to commit. Sometimes I think we make it so easy for people to enter into a relationship with Jesus that we don't really talk about the commitment that it takes you know, to be a disciple of Jesus. So answer me this. Being a disciple of Jesus, is it hard or easy? <laughs> Who said yes? Yes. Yes is probably the right answer. Yes is probably the right answer. I don't want, I don't want anyone who's watching online or anyone here to think that what I'm going to say to you is that following Jesus is easy. Because he, I mean, Jesus even told us, look, they're, they've persecuted me. How do you think they're going to treat you? They're going to be, they're going to treat you the same way. They treated me. And it's going to come. And persecution is going to come. And his prayer there in John chapter 17 was, Lord, I pray that you keep them firm in you. As I am in you. So that we don't lose any. But it's going to take commitment. Imitating is pretty easy. And it's kind of fun. Then I begin my own personal walk with Jesus. And I begin to reflect what he has done in my life. I take ownership of my faith. And then at the end, I have to decide I'm never walking away. I'm burning the ships. Right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going back to the way life was before. And so Jesus says in... Luke chapter 9, these three different individuals come up. And, 
And Luke, who is a, a doctor, when he was writing his gospel, he wanted you to know that if you're going to accept Jesus as your Messiah, then you have to go all in or it doesn't work. And so he put these three examples back to back in his gospel just to explain the commitment that is involved. Here's the first one. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And here was Jesus' reply. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus, what are you saying? You want to follow me? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I don't even have a place to lay my head. You don't know where it's going to take you. You're going to say, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And then you're going to go to school. And if you're going to be a follower of mine, I'm going to call you to more. You're going to live in a, in a cancel culture. But I'm going to call you to more. You're going to live in a place where people want to confuse who we really are. Everything from our faith to our gender to the way we speak. And I'm going to call you no more. You want to be my disciple. It's not going to be easy. And you have to make a commitment of who you're going to be. What you're going to stand for. How you're going to live your life. Who are you going to serve? And he's like, it's, it's not easy. And I don't think we do people favors when we come and say, it's so easy, just... You know, come in and just give your heart to Jesus. He loves you. Is it true that he'll bless you? Yes. Is it true that it'll be the most blessed life you've ever had? Yes. Does it mean it's easy? No. And so oftentimes, I'll be in situations where people will be experiencing hurt or pain or loss or uh, the prospect of losing everything. And they'll be like, why? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? And I hold back. All I say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But what I want to say to you, because the right answer is this. He never said it was going to be easy. In fact, he told you it was going to be hard. Narrow is the way. Hard is this path that leads to eternal life. And few people will stay on that path. The majority of people would rather go down the wide lane, the easy road. And Jesus said, yes. Okay, hold on, Deborah. So Deborah is speaking, and give me the verse of Scripture so the people online can read this. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Begins with Jesus saying, I will give you rest. And they're like, where and how? And he's like, you need to learn of me. Take my yoke. 
Because that's where you'll find rest. It doesn't mean that the, that the work is going to be easy. It just means that. Okay. So what Deborah is saying is there was this time in her life when she, she wanted, you know, she was like, I'm looking for the easy way. But he's like, it's not going to be easy. But he's like, you have to learn from me. Right? And so read more about that. Study more about that. Thank you, Deborah. Here's the second person. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Then look at this reply. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, you read the commentaries and they're like, look, in this culture, everybody knew when Jesus said this, that this man's father was not already dead. More than likely, he was not sick or even near his death. What Jesus was saying is, and what this individual was saying is, look, Lord, I got a life and I got some important things. Just let me go live my life. Let me do all my stuff. Then at the end, when I have nothing else to do, then I will come and be your disciple. And Jesus is like, no. listen, it's not always going to be convenient and it's not always going to be easy. And it has to be the highest priority of your life. I'm not, you know, I'm not the, the scraps. I'm not, hey, you live your life and do your own thing. And then at the very end, you know, you're like, hey, I, I want to go to heaven now. So I'm going to just, you know, it's just like, it's not, it doesn't work that way. There are these crucial moments in our life where we make a decision to follow Jesus or not. And this is what Jesus knows. If you waste them, you have no hope. You have no assurance that another opportunity is going to come along. Hey, Matthew. I can tell we haven't been together enough. Do you see how much we want to talk? I love Matthew because... Uh, you get to share a lot of people with your life and, and stuff. So we don't get to cherry pick. Say it again. We don't get to cherry pick what we give to God. We either give him everything or Yeah, he's like, we don't get to cherry pick what we give to God. We either give him everything or nothing. Right? And, and, and it's true. And there, it's even psychologists will tell you that people will come to them and they're like talking to people. And they're like, I know I should do this. I know I should do this. I know I should do this. And if they don't do it, then the next time they're confronted with it, it's, hard, it's, it's harder for them to do it. And every time we say no, we walk down a path and it becomes more difficult to say yes. We slowly begin to lose our passion to change. And so what Jesus is saying is you've got to take advantage. If God is, if, if, if he's calling you now, say yes now. Today is the day of salvation, right? Says the Lord. Don't put off to tomorrow what you know you need to do today. Live as if there's no tomorrow. Live as if there's no tomorrow. No more. We don't have assurance of tomorrow. And number two, my dad used to say this. He said, Rick, how do you know that you're going to be more willing to give up that stuff tomorrow than you are today? You have no assurance. The more you go down the wrong path, the harder it is to get back. Okay. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus said is true. He really didn't even deal with this. He's like, 
Lord, you know, let me just go back and say goodbye to my family. I'm looking back, I'm looking back, I'm looking back, I'm looking back. And so Jesus gives him a true statement. When, when a farmer puts his hands on the plow and he's going to cut a row that's going to be a garden, he's going to plant some seed. You, you pick a spot in the end, you know, at the very end of the row, and you keep your eyes focused on it, and you stay focused ahead, and you can cut a straight line. But if you're trying to go forward and you're constantly looking back, then you're going to be all over the place. And so what he's saying is, is if, you're, if you in your life are spending the bulk of your time looking backwards, you're going to miss what God is calling you to ahead. And did you notice, didn't, Jesus didn't tell him to follow. Jesus didn't tell him to return. He just told him something true. If you want to spend the bulk of your energy complaining about yesterday, you're going to miss the opportunity of today. Paul said, I forget what was behind and I press forward to the call in Christ Jesus. And Jesus just walks away. At the end of that, he just lets this guy decide what he's going to do with his life. R.C. Sproul says this. The pursuit of God is not a part-time weekend exercise. If it is, chances are you will experience a part-time weekend freedom. Abiding requires a kind of staying power. The pursuit is relentless. It hungers and thirsts. It pants as the deer after a mountain brook. It takes the kingdom by storm. The pursuit of God is a pursuit of passion. Indifference will not do. To abide in the word is to hang on tenaciously. A weak grip will soon slip away. Discipleship requires staying power. We sign up for the duration. We do not graduate until heaven. That's quite a quote. And he's like, man, you, you go all in. You make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus, yes or no. And the more you do, the more it becomes a passion, a hunger, and a thirst. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs to be with God. We take the you know, kingdom by storm. We are full. We are running into heaven. And taking as many people with us as possible. Does it mean that we're perfect? No. I love this quote. What makes authentic, this is the last one. What makes authentic disciples is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in the ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pods, and wandered into a far country, yet they keep coming back to Jesus. That makes you a disciple. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. I may not be perfect. None of us are. I may fall and stumble again and again so much that it's embarrassing. But at the end of the day, if I don't have Jesus, what have I got? Amen? That's the beginning. That's our, that's our beginning point. I want to have a passion 
to get to know Jesus and to follow him in everything. And I, and I want to get to know him, which requires time and tension, intentionality. And so it's, here I am, Lord. This is me. And I'm running after you. Your beginning point, follow somebody as they follow Christ until God calls you for your own voice and then reflect the glory of the Lord in everything you see, hear, and do. And then make a commitment. I'm never walking away. I'm never walking away. I'm no longer in control of my life. Jesus is in control of my life. And it's not about how many days you live. The love of God doesn't love you more if he gives you long life. He gives you long life because he says if you were to trust in him and follow him, you will experience a longer life. But he doesn't promise it. And it doesn't mean if a life is cut short that God loved them less. Or have you not read the Old Testament prophet who said that sometimes God cuts a man's days short so that he doesn't have to experience all of the pain that is ahead. Which means that sometimes God loves you so much, he'll take you early. Is our faith big enough for that? May God bless you as you become a disciple. This is our beginning point to have a passion for Jesus. Can I pray with you?